being yoked together and the idea of being closely connected to people and all of that kind of thing. We said that it was, to put it simply, we said it was a good thing. We want to develop that. We want to cultivate that. And starting tonight, I want to look, just take a couple of lessons and talk about some very practical uh, means by which to accomplish that. Now, if you picked up an outline or you noticed in the bulletin um, what I'm going to be talking about, you know that I'm looking tonight at the whole idea of hospitality. And so we're going to look at it. I'm going to define the term. I'm going to talk about its importance. And I'm going to look at a, a biblical example of hospitality. So I'm kind of going to approach it from three different ways, if you will. I believe that one of the greatest tools that the Christian has at his disposal to be united with other people, if you will, is to show hospitality. Um, unity, maybe at its root, is expressed in hospitality. If you were to define it, if you were just to look at the word, in, and you might look it up in you know, any biblical help or whatever, and you find that it is simply translated the love of or love towards strangers or guests. But that really, I'm not sure, conveys everything that uh, the idea of hospitality is really saying. So I want to talk about the word, I want to talk about the term, and the biblical idea for just a little bit. It's variously used if you look in the Bible, but also outside the Bible, at the term that God chooses to use for this biblical doctrine, it's sometimes used just to describe the warmth that exists between people. Because you see, the word, it's a compound word, and we might think that if we said love of guests or love of strangers, that it might be very parallel to or comparable to, let's say, love your enemies. Because when you're talking about someone who's a stranger or someone that you welcome as a guest, that doesn't mean that you are close to them. And so there's a very common word for love in the New Testament. A lot of people know it because people use it in various things. Agape. This is not that word. This is a far less used word for love that, again, is a compound word attached to the word for stranger or foreigner or guest, and it really means a word that, that is to have affection. And, a, and in one sense, that's almost an oxymoron, because if someone is a stranger, then you don't tend to have affection for them. You might have love, that basic idea of, as I said, the most common word, love your wife, love your enemies, love this person, that person, everybody. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Because that word really conveys more of what you do, uh, can, uh, a goodwill that you have toward people. And you don't even have to like them, and you, you don't have to have any affection for them, but it is that you are willing to do certain things that are right or good for them. That's not this term. And so Aristotle, I believe it was, I should have looked it up, but I think it was Aristotle that made the point, you know, a few hundred years before Jesus, um, made the point about this term and about how it was applied that this wasn't just, you know, doing something for somebody in the sense of taking care, feeding somebody or what it was, but it was beyond that. And the best way I know to describe what he was talking about is this. Have you ever said about a person, I love that person, but I don't like them? <laughs> you know? And I think 
think we all have. I think there are people right now that immediately come to mind. Yeah, I love them, you know, but I really don't like that person. And it's for all kinds of different reasons. And so if I'm being commanded by God to like something, like somebody, then I'm really going to have to work at it. And I think that's the idea. That's the very idea behind being hospitable. Aristotle went on to say that this term, by its very definition, could not simply be a small thing you did, but it had to be something that you really got into, as we would put it in our language, that you really put your whole, you know, all of you into, is what he would say. And so as you look at this idea, it's a readiness to share with others. It's uh, a generosity, certainly. An entertaining, yes, but you're not just doing it out of duty. And that's what I'm trying to get across. The Bible is not telling us, this is your Christian duty, this is on your list. You know, I know as I enter into my year that I've got to be hospitable, so let me go ahead and just plan a couple of events where I can be hospitable, and I can check that off the list. That's not what he's talking about. So there's something more there. And I want us to look at it. Go with me to Romans chapter 12. And it is interesting to me, when you look at Romans 12, it is interesting to me the list, if you will, that grows out of what he says. And we generally, I would say most people that teach from Romans 12, either teach the first part in one lesson somewhere, or the middle part somewhere, or the end of Romans 12, but rarely connect the whole thought together. Well, let's look at it tonight. So we're not going to go through every verse here and meticulously tear it apart, but let's kind of scan it and notice what Paul is, in fact, saying. You begin in Romans 12 and verse 1, and Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present, and if you know, I've used this verse quite a bit, and I've said that's like a priest literally taking his body and laying it upon the altar, and we are priests. So he's talking about sacrifice here. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable or logical service. I should expect to give myself in sacrifice because my Lord gave himself in sacrifice. Let's go on, though, further. My logical service, what I'm reasoning. One of the things that I'm certainly reasoning is my whole way of thinking has to change. And so verse 2. Be not conformed to this world. All right, let's apply it to what we're saying tonight. How does the world generally run? Well, they open their home. They are hospitable. They are entertaining. You know, you entertain guests and so forth. What does that mean? Call up the people you like. Say, I'm having a party. You know, I want you to come over. God isn't teaching us that. And he goes on to say here, be not conformed to this world. You know, the world may entertain strangers, but it's for a particular reason. And usually it's a very selfish reason. If I'm going to have my boss, that I don't really like, over for dinner, I'm going to have them over for dinner because I want to get ahead. I'm ambitious. And so I'm doing that for a selfish reason. Be not conformed to this world. But rather be transformed. You change your whole way of thinking here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice he goes on, for, I say, 
lot of times we stop at verse 3 and we've made the point, you know, of not being conformed to the world and we leave it at that. God doesn't. For, I say, this is the purpose of why I'm saying don't be conformed and present your body. So verse 3. For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now that begins to reach inside me and say to me, don't get carried away with you. Start thinking about the other guy. Start thinking about the other person. Let's go further. We can say a lot about that, but I don't want to belabor any one verse here. As we have many members in one body, and all are members you know, of one another, but all members have not the same office, position, role, function. Even abilities we could stick in that word. So we being many are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. Having then, notice what he's saying here. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy. You see what he's beginning to do here? He's saying, you're a priest. Sacrifice yourself. Go beyond what's comfortable to you. Put your body, as it were, upon an altar. Give of yourself. It's your reasonable service. Don't think like the world thinks and only be in some selfish pursuit or what makes you feel good or whatever. But no, give of yourself. And then he's going on to say here that... (laughs) That's interesting. He's going on to say here... That, there, that each of us has different gifts. We have different abilities. We have different things we can do that we can use for other people. So notice how he said, yeah, somebody might be able to teach. Then do that. Do it from the standpoint of wanting to give to the other person, wanting to help the other person. But it doesn't stop there. Or service, verse 7. Now that would fit all of us. Everybody has some measure of being able to serve someone else. Notice in verse 8. Or he that encourages. We're going to talk a whole lot about that next quarter. But we all can do things that are encouraging to someone else. People we know need to be picked up a little bit. Something that needs to be said. Sometimes it may mean I need to go a little bit out of my way, but lifting somebody else up and taking the time and putting forth the effort to do that. He that encourages on exhortation. He that gives. Let him do it with simplicity. And the word simplicity here is a single-minded idea. I want to give because it's a good thing. I cheerfully, you know, all of those things that go into our giving. But notice as he goes on here, if you rule even. You know, ruling can be the idea of lording over, which isn't the biblical idea. Or it can really be the idea of serving by leading. And that's needed at times. But notice as he goes on, verse 9. Let love be without dissimulation. Hypocrisy is the word. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that. Cling to it is the idea. That which is good. Be kindly affectionate. Incidentally, verse 10 here, and I've said it before, only place in the Bible all the words for love are piled together in one place. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. Now notice verse 11. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, enduring it, continuing instant in prayer. These are all things we can do, but notice the, the idea in the context is benefit 
to other people. You know, I, I just point one thing out here. It's one thing for you to have a lot of troubles and problems and endure those. That's a good thing. But it's not just something that's good for you. The better you do at getting through your problems and enduring your problems helps other people. And you can approach it from a very selfish standpoint. I've got problems. They don't feel good. I want to get through them. Or you can approach it from the standpoint, the best thing I can do for me is to do what's best for everybody else. And that is to endure and make it through it. Not let it overwhelm me, etc. Notice as he goes on here. Verse 13 is an interesting coupling of things together. Distributing to the need of the saints, given to hospitality. I'm not sure we really see those, or a lot of people see those two ideas as so closely connected, but they are. Because you see, if you went back in time, you may notice on your outline where I say historically, hospitality served two distinct purposes, and it did. And it can today, for that matter. But if you went back in time and you looked historically at people traveling and all of that kind of thing, there really weren't, you know, we have, I mean, Super 8 and Holiday Inn and all, all those motels and everything. But if you went to that part of the world, especially in times past, they wouldn't have all those places. They wouldn't have a lot of inns. It wasn't that long ago in this country all those places didn't exist. Really, that's a last century, really a modern phenomenon, but we'll get off into that. But the idea is they didn't have those things, so what they had were very few places, inns, remember like Joseph, no room in the inn, so Jesus was born in a stable. They had very few of those places, and generally speaking, it wasn't a place you'd want to take your family. A lot of times those places were not much more than houses of ill repute, if you know what I mean. And so, if you were traveling, there was a need for someone to open their home to you. You can see that even in the teaching of Jesus. I'm going to send you out, go in these different places, and basically the people that are going to be blessed are the people that open their home to you. There was a primary need for folks to open their home. But there was a secondary purpose behind that. A secondary benefit, if you will, behind it. And that was that when someone spent the night with or days with an individual, it allowed those people to get closer. I can think right now, back on my life, some people in this room, others from different places I've been, and we're very close, and the reason we're close, and I could go into their home right now and feel at home. The reason why is because they opened their home to me. We weren't close like that until we spent that kind of time together. But after spending that kind of time, we drew close. We were, as I was talking about this morning, yoked together. There was a lot closer connection. And the more you do that and the more time you spend, etc., then the closer you are. Let me give a quick parallel, not on our topic tonight per se, but I think it is directly parallel. Think about the whole idea of feet washing, as it's generally called today, or foot washing. It's not a religious rite that Jesus was teaching, but it was this exact same kind of idea as hospitality. There was a primary need for it in Jesus' day. You know, when Jesus in John 13 washes the disciples' feet, they came in from a dusty road. 
They needed to have their feet washed, or the lower parts of their legs needed to be washed off. And it was an act of giving and an act of service. Look at Romans 12. Here was the idea of you are a priest. Lay yourself on the altar. Sacrifice yourself and do for somebody else. You can wash that person's feet. You can do a service for somebody. That's something you can do. Now, how would the world think? The world would think, you get on your knees and wash my feet. You know, I'm not washing yours. No, but Jesus got down there and washed their feet. Do you understand what I've done? Maybe, they, to an extent, but maybe not altogether. What Jesus was saying is, I'm your Lord and your Master, and I'm showing you the greatest thing you can do is get on your knees and serve by washing your brother's feet. Now you go and do likewise. But there was also, wasn't there, a, a secondary benefit to washing feet. I mean, it was a service, obviously, that was needed. But there was a benefit to it that came not so much to the person getting his feet washed, but the one doing the washing. And that's the humility that's involved. And the servitude that's involved. When you're that close to someone and you do that kind of service, we don't walk dusty roads and sandals so much in America. So we don't have that exact need. Oh, but we do so many other things. So many other things that are needed. And so many other things we can do, and when we do them, we humble ourselves. There's humility there that's created. There is the act of service, or servitude. You understand what it means to be a servant when you, you know, and I'll give you a a real easy one. Maybe someone's in the hospital. Maybe it's an older relative. Maybe it's your mother or father who cared for you. And you now are having to care for them. You've got to feed them like they once fed you. You've got to bathe them like they once bathed you. And you understand. You feel that. You feel that service and that act of giving. That's what Jesus is teaching. Hospitality is like that. I give to you, God says. I bless you. You have. Now share it. Give to somebody else. Give as I've given. That's the idea. I'm going to, if you're on your outline, you'll notice I have the example next, and I debated whether what order to put this in, so skip with me to the next point. I want to read some verses in the New Testament and talk about the importance of it. Because Scripture really has quite a bit to say about hospitality, both by way of instruction and example. And we're going to look at some of the instruction and one of the examples. But it's important to understand that hospitality is not just, just a choice. No, I mean, it is, but it's not just something arbitrarily said, you know, if you'd like to do it, go do it. No, God is enjoining this. He's commanding this. The passage that was read for us before shows that. This is something I am supposed to do, something I'm supposed to be. I don't think it goes without, you know, I, I, without saying how important it is when you start looking at the fact that God includes it in qualifications. Go with me to 1 Timothy. Isn't it interesting how, and I'm just going to stay in 1 Timothy here for a moment, but isn't it interesting how when we talk about the qualification for elders, if someone is going to be an elder, I hope someday we talk about that. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that East Orange is in a position for. One of the qualifications you would look at is how hospitable has the individual been? Now, we might ask the question of why, but I think it has to do with all we've been saying tonight. You notice in 1 Timothy 3, 
that from the very beginning, he's saying, as he starts in verse 2, a bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife, etc. But notice in verse 2, given to hospitality. And the word given to hospitality is just one word in the original. And again, it is that word about which Aristotle said he just needs to really like it and put him whole, his whole self into it, is the idea. Because it is, it is that an, an elder, someone in this position, needs to be exemplary in being hospitable. When you think of a hospitable person, a house with hospitality, the elder ought to come to mind. And if the elder is someone who's just, you know, kind of closed off to everybody, his home isn't open to people, he's not a person that really enjoys opening his home and having people in and taking care of their needs and all of that, then he really ought not be an elder. And a lot of other things he might be qualified in, but again, that's part of it. And isn't it interesting that it's not just elders. If you turn a page over or so to chapter 5, and you notice there is this idea of the widow we talked about in the men's class downstairs not too long ago. But the widow that is going to be put on the roll or literally put on the payroll and you're going to take care of her and support her, you know, contribute financially to her, etc. And there are qualifications given for that. And if you look down in verse 10, she's well reported of for good works. She's brought up children. Now again, notice how many of these have to do with caring for other people, seeing to the needs of other people. She's brought up children. She's lodged strangers. Now that's not translated hospitality, but it's a word very akin to hospitality. In other words, what it's literally saying is she has been hospitable. She's taken strangers in. She's done that as a way of life. That's what her life exemplifies. These are qualifications. It shouldn't go unnoticed with us that God considers hospitality to be so important that in a short list of who is really qualified to be set apart by the Lord's church are hospitable people, among other things. It's important, then, is the idea. Go back to Romans chapter 12, and again, I won't turn back there, but again, there is that distributing to the needs of saints. Hospitality. Opening your home, opening yourself to strangers. I said this morning we would look at this. Go over with me to 2 John for a moment. And I mentioned it this morning, but I want to really talk about it tonight. In 2 John, John was writing this letter to some woman, a sister. Uh, some people think it's a church, but I, I do believe it's an individual. But nonetheless, he's writing this letter. And one of the things that John talks about is all the false doctrine that by the late first century is existing. There are many deceivers, verse 7, that are entered into the world. Now, there are going to be some that come to you, John says. And so, if they come to you, drop down to verse 9. Whosoever transgresses and does not remain in the doctrine of Christ, he does not have God. But notice what he does with it. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. All of this stuff we've been talking about, fellowship and fellowship with God, and our fellowship with one another is related to our fellowship in God. That's what he's talking about. So now notice verse 10, what he does with it. If there comes any unto you and brings not this doctrine, the doctrine of the New Testament, the teaching of Christ, they do not bring this doctrine. Notice the term, receive him not into your house. Now, I said this morning, but I'll say it again. Bears repeat. 
When, John, when Jesus looked down from the cross at John and at Mary, Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. Jesus was saying, John, you're going to take Mary in and you're going to care for Mary. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? it? You know, when you think about John at the foot of the cross, we don't know if he was related. Some want to suggest, you know, he was a cousin of Jesus. The Bible doesn't say any of that. John, behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. But isn't it interesting that he was saying that having four at least, Four living brothers and two living sisters. He is not saying to them, take your mother in the house. And the Bible goes on to say from that time, John took her unto his own. She moved in. She had sons and daughters who were living. We know that for a fact. But it was the young apostle John that took her in as his mother. I believe that has to do with this idea here. Because if you look at verse 10, when it says John took her unto his own, he received her, it's the exact same word in verse 10 that John is generally saying about people that you take into your home and whether or not they have this doctrine. John is talking about hospitality in the purest sense. Not just a party that you throw and call that hospitality. But a real love for, a real deep, as Aristotle would say, whole person involved, because now this person is going to literally live with you, at least for a period of time. Receive them into your house if they bring this doctrine. But notice, if they don't, don't take them to yourself like that, and don't bid them Godspeed, which is the idea of supporting or facilitating what they're doing. That's the way we would say it today. I'm not going to help you, you know, put out false doctrine is the idea. But notice the close association there. And so John is speaking of it in a deep form, in a deep term here. Go back with me to Matthew 10 for a moment. I mentioned it, but let's look at it. When Jesus sent the different groups out, you know, he sent the apostles out at one point, he sent the 70 out at one point. It's really the 70 I'm interested in more than anything. But let me look at Matthew 10 just briefly. He sent the apostles out here. And if you'll drop down to verse 40, I think this is interesting. He says, He that receives you receives me. And he that receives me receives him that sent me. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And the one that rejects a righteous man in the name of a righteous man will receive a righteous man. And, And so... You look at that and you're thinking, you know, if you just stop there, you'd be thinking in terms of only the idea of accepting what they preach. You know, if you receive what Matthew said or Paul said, then it's like receiving what Jesus said and all of that idea. There is an application. But that's not all of what he's talking about here. Look at verse 42. Because so closely connected with that acceptance and all of that is whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And if we didn't know that was in there, and I came to you and I said, if I were to go out here and poll people on the street, how important is it to give a drink of water to somebody? People might have all different kinds of answers, but if I were to say, can you go to heaven for doing that? I mean, most people would look at you like you're crazy. 
Go to heaven for giving somebody a drink of water? But yeah, that's what Jesus is saying. You're going to go out here and you're going to go into these towns and you're going to have needs. That's the idea. You're going to get thirsty and you're going to get hungry and you're going to need a place to sleep and get out of the rain and all of that kind of thing. And when you go into these various places, the people that understand how important it is, they're going to open their home to you. They're going to take you in. It's going to inconvenience them. It's going to cost them a little bit of money, you know. Buying a little extra food costs a little extra money. But they're going to do that because they care about what's right. And I, God, am going to take notice of that. I'm going to look down there and see that. I think sometimes people get carried away with the great, big, huge works. You know, build some gigantic cathedral for God or monument for God. When really what God says more than anything is give somebody a drink of water. Feed somebody. Open up your home to somebody. Now, let's go one place further. Because that begs this question. Look with me at Luke 10. I have known plenty of people. Plenty of people that have come to me and talked to me about this whole idea. Michael, I don't have much. That kind of thing. When I was in Haiti, a lot of years ago, nearly 40 years ago now. But when I was in Haiti, one of the greatest shows of hospitality I think I ever saw was I preached for this little, if you want to, you know, this little church, little congregation. And if you want to say it was in a church building, it really was only one wall and poles. It, it, it wasn't even enclosed. It was out in the rural part outside of Port-au-Prince, maybe a half hour, 45 minute drive away. Long story short is this. I preached in this little place. I had a translator, you know, preaching through the translator. And the family there that opened their home to me and Wes knows him very well, several of you do, Scott Smelser. But the guy that opened his home to us, I'm going to tell you exactly what they did. They grew rice. It was wild rice. They had harvested some of that. They went out, and they were very poor, but they went out and slaughtered a goat, a kid goat, and cooked it, barbecued it. And they had a few other things, some fruits that grew just naturally and kind of wild around and so forth. And they gave us that, the best they had of what they had. And they were insistent upon, I mean, you came and preached for us, they said. You, you know, you gave to us. Let us give back to you. It was in a little hut. It was, you know, in some respects, the most modest of food. And yet I don't think in 40 years anybody has shown more hospitality than that. They did everything they could. They gave everything they had to their guest. Now that's love. When you look at Luke 10, I want you to listen carefully to the language here. And you'll notice that, and I'm not going to read all of it, but start in verse 1 there. He's sending the 70 out. This is where he sends them out two by two and, and all of that kind of thing. But if you notice... He says, and, and uh, look at verse 4, don't carry this with you, don't carry that. And when you enter into a house, verse 5, pick up reading there with me. When you enter into a house, say, peace be to this house. 
And if the Son of Peace is there, then your peace will rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain. Notice verse 7 very carefully. And I have it underlining. I'd underline here. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give. In other words, you don't know what kind of house you're going to be in. You don't know before you get there. You don't know what they're going to have or what they're not going to have. They may have the finest of steak, you know, filet mignon, and they may have a bowl of grits. You don't know what they're going to have, but you eat and drink such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his hire, and don't go from house to house. This is not kind of like me taking bids on where I'm going to get the best deal. You know, this is the idea of who wants to love like my Haitian brethren love is the idea. In whatever city you enter, can, keep reading with me, verse 8. And they receive you, eat such things as are set before you. In other words, what is he saying here? Well, I think he's addressing both the person that is the guest, but I think he's also addressing the rest of us. My house may not be as nice as the next person's house. So what? I may not have the nicest of things, the best of things, as good as someone else has. Okay, so what? I may not have the best food to put before someone. But you know what I can have? What I can have is the best of love to give to somebody and give them what I have. You know, I've had people say to me, love for you to stay at my house. You know, if you can put up with this or you can deal with that or you, you know, I would love to have you there. I, for example, I stayed in a home one time about oh, almost 20 years ago now. Priest a meeting there. And there were people there who had a lot. And there was this one guy and his family, and they bought this old house, and they were remodeling it room by room as they could afford to get to it. And the guy said to me, we would love to have you in our home, but right now the bathroom is at the end of the backyard, so if you're going to go to the bathroom and take a shower or whatever, you're going to have to walk across the yard. That was an interesting week, I tell you. A very interesting week. It really was. You know, you get up, you take your soap, your shampoo, and you trudge across the backyard. And you know, But the point was, they gave what they had to give. I enjoyed that week. I've been in places, Montel can tell you, she knows exactly this place I'm about to mention. This guy had bought what would be around here a couple of million dollar house. It was nice. Oh man, it was nice. And we felt the most unwelcome there for that week that I have ever felt in my life. Every day was a chore to get through the day. She'll tell you. She knows exactly what I'm talking about. We couldn't wait to leave that place. It was horrible. So if you ask me over the times that you've been in different people's homes, would you rather have been in the hut in Haiti, the place where you had to go across the backyard to the bathroom, or the two, three million dollar house. In a heartbeat, I'd reject the two, three million dollar house. Now, I've been in other million dollar homes, and they were as gracious and humble and giving as anybody could be. But you see, that's the point. It doesn't matter what you have. It's give what you have. And what Jesus is saying here is, you take what they have. If they give it with the right love and so forth, then you do that. I remind you one other passage that I'm going to look at is in Matthew 25, and I just mentioned this briefly. And then I want to look at this example to close out. In Matthew 25, remember it is Jesus 
who on judgment day will divide the sheep and the goats. We all know that story. And Jesus is going to stand there and Jesus is going to say, I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was hungry and you fed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. That's hospitality. Love of strangers, love of guests. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited or took care of me. I was in prison and you came unto me. And then tell the righteous people, basically I'll paraphrase here, Lord, when did we do that? And Jesus says, well, when you did it to the least of my brethren. Don't miss that part. Because it's one thing to give the best you have and put on a, you know, as we, I started to say down south, you know, put on the dog. I don't know if anybody here knows that phrase. But, you know, it's one thing to do that for the important, the big, important, well-known, etc., etc. It's another thing to do that for the person that no one else hardly takes notice of. The least of my brethren. And then he's going to turn to a group of people and he's going to say, you depart from me. You don't come to heaven. Why? I suspect that what Jesus is really getting at here is not, you know, the great big criminals of the world. I think he's addressing, and and if I had to look at this context, this is the kingdom of heaven. These are members of the church he's talking to. These are some Christians that aren't going to make it. And they're probably dumbfounded at that. Why? What did I do? And they're thinking in terms of, you know, the killing and the lying and the stealing and the adultery. And I, What did I do? Well, I was thirsty. And you didn't give me a drink. And I was hungry and you didn't feed me. And basically, I was all these people that had these just simple basic needs that you could have seen to. And you just didn't care. So I, I don't want you to depart from me. And I don't know It should leave to us, I mean, it should really impress us that sometimes it's the small little thing. I've known people, and I I could venture to say I've been people, that get all wrapped up in the big things. Because I've done a lot of big, bad things, and I never hide that. You know that's the truth. And I get all wrapped up in that, and sometimes I get so wrapped up in that, I've done this and I've done that, that I forget the little things. And someone says, you know, but you do so-and-so. Yeah, but, you know, I did this over here. Yeah, but you do so-and-so. I think it's important sometimes to ask ourselves, maybe sit down and have an assessment of ourselves. What do I do? What do I not do? And if you've got on your list, when people have needs, I try to take care of it. I do little things for people all the time. If you've got that on your list, don't underestimate the value in that. How important it is, how close a tie you're creating with people. Like we were talking about this morning. What that's doing to bring you closer to people because you care enough to do those kinds of things. You're willing to open your home to people. You're you're willing to get closer to people. Maybe people you never knew. And we're not talking about here, you know... You have your mother over for dinner. I mean, you know, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, you know, like Montel and I sit down and we say, okay, who are we going to have over or who we need to invite over or whatever it might be. And we're thinking about people we're not close to. We don't know. You know, people that it would be good to have them in our home in a relaxed atmosphere to get to know them. 
Because I want to tell you something, man. The things that will come out of people's mouths and the way you can draw closer to someone who sits across the table from you at 9 o'clock on a Friday night or whatever and what they will say to you here at church are two totally different things. And the relationship you form with them is totally different. That's why we do these things we do. That's why we get together and we have people in our homes and we talk to people and we spend time with people. And we're spending it because it costs us. I could be doing something else. I could be having fun over here or doing that over there. But it's important. That's why we do those things. One final example and we'll close. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. You know, the Bible says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers because some have entertained angels unawares. I'm not sure if the writer of Hebrews had Genesis 18 in mind or not. But I do know that Genesis 18 is really an interesting passage. And I want you to read the first few verses of it with me. The Lord, and I think this is Jesus. The Lord appeared unto Abraham in the plains of Mamre. As he sat in the tent door in the heat of the day. I want you to catch that. It's hot. You know what it's like and we're in the summer and so the sun is beating down on you and you're sweating and you're hot. You understand all that. He's sitting there, and three people come walking along. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and lo, three men stood by him. And when he saw them, and I want you to notice this, when he saw them, he ran. There's an urgency here to serve on the part of Abraham. He's not like, oh, brother, why does somebody have to come by today? You know, it's hot. I don't feel like doing anything today. No, he ran to meet these guys. And listen to what he said. He bows himself toward the ground and he said, My Lord. Now I think he recognizes Jesus personally. Not necessarily the other two. But he said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. First thing he offers, it's a hot day, what do you need first? I need some water. You know? Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched. But not only for your mouth. Let me wash your feet. And you rest under this tree. You know, get out of this hot sun and I'll take care of you. I'll fetch a morsel of bread, verse 5. And I'll comfort your heart. Now notice what he's saying here. Give them some water. Go wash their feet. Go take care of the basic needs. Going to give them a little bit of bread here. But he's not going to stop there. You're going to sit there and you know exactly how it is. It's hot, all of that. Once you start cooling down, then you start thinking, you know what, I'm hungry too. No, I mean, when you're thirsty, that's all you are. But he, they're hungry too. For therefore, he said, are you come to your servant? They said, so do, as you have said. Notice verse 6. And Abraham hastened. I can just picture this. Here are these guys, three, hot. It's a hot day. They're hot. And here is this guy just running, running up to him. Let me serve you. Running away. Let me serve you. Let me do this. Let me do that for you. It's a very interesting picture. He hastened into the tent to Sarah. Make ready quickly three measures of fine meal. Knead it. Make cakes upon the heart. All right, he's got Sarah making the good bread. Fresh bread. Nothing like fresh bread when you're hungry, man. And then he ran into the herd. And he fetched a calf. Notice the description. Tender and good. He's not looking around the herd and saying, you know, i got that stringy old cow over there. Let me pawn it off on these guys. No, he's choosing the best he has. A young calf, tender, you know. And so he says, 
And he gave it to a young man and he hasted to dress it. He's just running around getting this fixed as fast as he can. Notice verse 8. He took butter and milk. Now I want to tell you, in that day, in that time, milk was fairly common. You got cattle. Butter takes time. And it, 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 uh, it spoils, is the word I'm looking for, quickly. So this is a luxury. He's taking the best that he has, the luxury. You know, it's kind of like that food you got at the house, or that spice you've got, or that special food you brought back from Sweden somewhere. You know what I'm talking about? You got it stuffed back away for the, that, that special time. He's running over there and getting that. I'm going to give this to my guest. That's the idea of Abraham. He ran to the herd. He took the butter, verse 8, the milk. The calf which he addressed, he set it before them. And then I want you to notice lastly here. This reminds me of that family in Haiti. And he stood by them under the tree, and they did eat. I was down in Gunnersville, Alabama. I told you guys about this when I was talking about the whole prejudice and all that kind of thing. Gunnersville is a very special church and very special people down there. And there was this home that I went into, and like I said, you know, this whole church, all black people in this church. But I went there with my nephew and a couple of other guys, and this lady fed us a meal. I told Montel about this meal I don't know how many times. Because, man, she must have cooked, and I'm not exaggerating, she must have cooked between 20 and 25 different courses of food. It was incredible. And she was a great cook. But the thing that struck me was I was preaching, so I was the guest, you know, and she had me sit down, and she just keeps bringing this food. is so good, man. And I'm eating it, and I'm thinking, there ain't no way I'll be able to stand up and preach. I can't even breathe, you know. But she's bringing this food, and she's just standing. She's sitting off to the side, and her son was standing right beside her. And, boy, I mean, it was like if you want anything. I mean, you know, you teague gets near the bottom of the glass, just run and get a refill of tea. It was incredible. And it kind of bothered me, you know, because I'm, I'm like, I don't need to be served like that. No, no, no. She considers this an honor to be able to give what she's got to give. That's Abraham. Just standing there, if you need anything, and I'm ready to run. It, when you like hospitality, not just love your guests, but you really get into it. You like it like that. You understand the biblical idea of hospitality and the closeness it brings. Well, I'm a little over time and I'm sorry for that. But if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you believe in Jesus Christ and you will confess that, tonight you're willing to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of your sins. Your sins will be washed away. Maybe you're here and you need to come up and ask for the prayers of the people here. We'd love to pray together with you. Won't you please stand? I'll stand and sing.